And here we are for a rare midweek episode of Adult Music. Not only is it midweek, the sun is out. It's daytime. We usually record at night. Yeah. So uh, this is what I look like, Russ. You can oh, <laughs> the sun is coming in the window. <laughs> it's, it's the reflection is killing me. You got a filter oh. you can put on that, or yeah, that's what she said. Okay. <laughs> anyway, whoa. Yeah, right. as well, a uh, adult beverage, I don't even have any Knob Creek. I've got black tea with ginger. How's that right. for a change? We're going to be yeah, caffeinated instead of uh, bourbonated today. I'm I'm not boozified myself. Bourbonated is a good <laughs> word. <laughs> What did I say? Boozified. Boozinated would be okay, too. Right. Yeah. I like the word booze. It's kind of a funny word booze, for alcohol. I like it, too. Yeah. It's yeah. close to some other words. It kind of, it kind of, it's yeah. kind of, it kind of captures the way you feel when you drink it, I think, too yeah. much of it, I think. Anyway, this you is know. a special uh, episode 31, uh, midweek, and we have a reason to be here. Yeah. This is the uh, we 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 stayed up all night, or at least one of us did, uh, watching the Gramophone Awards, and um, we know all the winners, the record of the year, the Special Achievement Awards, and we wanted to talk about them because I we had been looking at the um, nominees and the winners, and um, a lot of the nominees on their um, uh, short list uh, were albums that we talked about through the year and we just sort of wanted to revisit them and to talk about some of the other albums from last year that we heard before we had started doing the podcast uh, that we really wanted to mention because we like them a lot so we decided we'd uh, go through the winners um, and the categories one by one and let you know how we uh, feel about all of them yeah. all of these albums for better or worse for better or worse usually better though in this case uh, usually yeah so we, we liked this. I like I de- I generally think Gramophone has good taste in uh, recordings. Yeah, they tend you to like pick really awards well. a lot more than I do. Um, I don't really like awards, but yeah, if it I helps don't know me- that I like awards. I think I like these awards, and oh, okay. I like the Diapason uh, d'Or at the end of the year, the French magazine, because they tend to pick good things too. The reason why is because I I miss a lot of stuff, and sometimes they'll. They'll pick something that I've missed, and then I listen to it. I'm like, wow, this is really good. I wouldn't yeah. have heard this otherwise. That's the only so reason I, I like them, them, in case I miss something uh, new that I right. can And that's why to. we do this podcast, too, so that we can alert each other and you, listener, that's right. so to you, uh, records that you should, uh, we think you should hear. So you don't have to spend all your time searching like right. the music nerds. Uh, I want to say I do have a Deezer... Uh, what I want to say, playlist for this episode, like the other ones, but it only has the winners in each category. We'll post the Gramophone official links if you want uh, to find out more information on all of the albums nominated. Uh, there's just too much to put everything in one playlist. Uh, it would take you a month and a half to listen to all of those recordings anyway. So just the winners that are available because there are some selections on Hyperion, which are not available on streaming. Yeah. We we I I personally we both actually love the Hyperion label and we want to encourage them to get their uh, stuff up on some uh, streaming sites just to make things easier for everybody. We, yeah. It's hard to recommend music from Hyperion when they can only go and sample their um, recordings at the site. So I don't that's know. right. I mean, if we like yeah. it, we're going to buy it anyway. So uh, yeah. Hyperion and Sony, uh, you know, get with it. <laughs> uh, before we start out uh, with the, things... Don't say anything to make them mad. I really love their pianists. They have oh, yeah. all my favorite pianists on their label. 
So we, before we get started, uh, as always, uh, I'd like to remind everyone who's listening uh, in our episode description, you'll find uh, the links uh, to what we're talking about this week, uh, just the gramophone links and the short Spotify list. Uh, and you'll see that there, uh, the uh, not Spotify, rather, but Deezer, uh, for our full episode playlists. Uh, that'll be at the top of the description. And uh, you can also follow us on Deezer at username Adult Music Podcast. Uh, if you can't see the full description of the episode or the links on whatever app or platform you listen to us on, please jump over to our host Podbean. Everything's clear with the links are easy to follow uh, from our home site. And if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please do follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you're listening to us on. Uh, take a moment, give us a ranking or write a review that helps us get listed in the browsing category recommendations among all of the K-pop uh, music commentary <laughs> selections. Right. And that'll help us uh, reach more people and in increase the size of our audience. And as always, if you'd like to contact us directly with any comments or questions, our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. I find K-pop commentary to be incisive, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least it helps me tell all those bands apart, you know, because I really want to know what makes them unique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good observation. That's okay. anyway, I don't think we're going to offend anyone in our audience. So. Not in our audience, no, anyway. I don't think they're, unless they're, you know, their daughters are listening in the background or something. I don't know. Could be. Okay. Anyway, let's get started. Yeah, I want to start kind of in the middle here. Um all right, so they announced all these categories, and then on the night of the awards, and we waited for the for the awards because we'd know what the record of the year is, which we do. But before we get to that, I want to go to um, some of the special awards, which we had no idea what they were going to be or who was nominated for this or anything. And it turns out that the Special Achievement Award for this year was won by the Boston Modern Orchestra Project, or affectionately known as BMOP. BMOP. Conducted by Gil Rose, who is a friend of the podcast. We interviewed him earlier this year. At least he was before we talked to him, but uh, we, <laughs> Maybe he like we hope he's still our friend. <laughs> well, I think uh, after we give him this uh, shout out, he'll like us again, or if he ever stopped, I don't know. But uh, yeah, this, this was, um, I was really uh, very happy to hear about this. I, it made me think back to the, uh, the interview and some of the... Uh, Recordings when I had to, when we had decided to do this interview, I was looking through his recordings, and there are so many of them. It's just overwhelming. It's it's um, a project to record a lot of um, American composers who probably many of whom haven't really been well represented on record. And boy, the the sheer amount of recordings here are just um, making making me see um, just. Um, empty bank accounts <laughs> on my, on my <laughs> side because I want every one of them. But uh, there are a select few that we talked about and we, we limited what we we're going to talk about because there are just too many. And uh, yeah, this is a project that we highly recommend and um, we also recommend that you go back and listen to the Gil Rose interview. Um, it was very interesting. He had a lot to say about a lot of topics and, all, and a, an overwhelming amount of music. So That's congratulations to BMOP and to Gil Rose. And yeah, that's everybody involved. Interview in number that two. And uh, yeah. I'll put a link in uh, this description too so you can access it easily if you haven't heard it yet. Okay, let's just go down the list here. Lifetime Achievement Award went to Gundula Janowitz. 
a German uh, soprano who now lives in Austria, apparently. I think she recorded with Kari on a bit. She's, I think she's very old, too. I didn't check her age, but, uh, well, Lifetime Achievement Award. I mean, she would be, you know, towards towards her later years. Um, I can't really say much about that, though. Um, I do I do know that she's had this illustrious career. Okay, an artist that we're going to say more about a little later, James Ennis, one artist of the year. He's a vi- British violinist, and he has this sweet nougaty tone, and he released, um, at, I think he released two Beethoven violin sonata albums this year, and probably a lot of other things. And I have a lot to say about the one I heard. Boy, it was uh, really stunning. Uh, he's got this beautiful sound. Okay, label of the year went to Deutsche Grammophon. An interest, a good choice, because Deutsche Grammophon <laughs> no in recent years, not really though, because you, you think of them as that that cartouche and the famous, you know, sort of album covers. But they've, I don't know what they did. They've revamped their art department or something, because we've seen there have been a lot of really interesting images on the covers and interesting projects released. I remember last year there was the John Adams. Um, must the Devil Have All the Best Tunes? And they've released, they just released this Florence Price um, symphonies um, record that I really want to hear. I haven't heard it yet. Um, and also all the um, Vikinger Olafsson. First of all, they signed him. He's really an amazing pianist. And I think he, he from interviews I've heard of him, he has his own art department, I think. But uh, okay. his uh, the album covers are really spectacular, not to mention the playing and the programming. Um, they've been a really interesting label for the last few years. It hasn't just been just these releases coming out. And it sounds like some motorcycle has just parked itself in front of my house here. So oh, we're going to no. have to hear that rumbling in the background. He just shut it off. They also had the... Okay, anyway, um, Deutsche, so Deutsche Gramophone, good for them. They also had the uh, I'm really Trifonoff. excited by what they're doing. The Trifonoff covers ah, were really Trifonoff, nice too. Yeah. yeah, with the train we could photos. Go on and on, really. and, uh, yeah. yeah, so kind of inviting you in into yeah. the you know the music through the art um much more than they used to anyway yeah i also enjoyed like they're doing a bruckner series with andres nelsons and um they, they're using this kind of like blue tinted sort of images on the covers it, it's just really nice i i like what they're doing artistically i like who their art the artists they're the new artists that they're signing uh, it's it's just uh yeah, it's been it's been pretty f- fantastic actually recently. I've I enjoyed them a lot. I could go on and on about this as new um, Deutsche Grammophone releases are rem- as I remember you know recent Deutsche Grammophone releases. But uh, check them out. Okay, especially the new Vikinger Olafsson Mozart and Contemporaries album, which we reviewed two episodes ago. Fantastic. We'll hear we'll see that on the Grammophone Awards next year, I think. I'd imagine. Okay, so, yeah. Young Artist of the Year. Someone who also won in the vo- the song category. This is Fatma Saeed. She's an Egyptian um, soprano, very young, and yeah, she sounds like someone uh, to to keep your ears on. She sang on in several languages on that album. It was it was pretty amazing. She has this really nice sort of uh, very appealing and sort of flexible voice. Flexible meaning like she can kind of um, manipulate it to fit the character that she's uh, singing. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment because we're going to get to that recording later. Orchestra of the Year went to the Minnesota Orchestra. Now, I didn't look this up. We just heard about this. Osmo Vanska is usually conducting them, and I have a bunch of those uh, Mahler recordings. No, he's, yeah, he's doing Mahler with them, right? 
Is it them? I don't remember. But I do know he did the uh, he redid the Sibelius symphonies with them, and uh, I've been listening to a bit of that. They recorded on the Beast label, and uh, those come out on SACD all the time too, which is even better for us. We love SACD. A little more to say about that later. And concept album. Uh, this went to uh, Cello 360 by Christian Pierre Lamarca on the Naive label. Uh, I haven't heard this. I don't know anything about it. it <laughs> I just learned about it three hours ago. So I can't tell you anything about it. Maybe we'll uh, give it a listen. He's got his uh, airborne stance on the cover. Yeah. Looks pretty interesting. Right. Okay, just one more thing. Did you listen to the spatial audio at all? I tried. We, we heard the recordings. Yeah. Like the winner in this category was uh, Josquin Jacquet, Vinder's The Golden Renaissance, which we reviewed on this podcast, but we didn't review it in the spatial audio version. Uh, yeah, so that not- was the winner. Not much chance that's probably going to happen uh, on right. my end. Uh, you didn't like it, huh? About- no, I mean the. <laughs> we like the we liked the album because we did talk about it, but you I didn't listened like to some of these short audio. samples. Uh, but yeah. not being uh, a member of Apple Music anymore, I can't do kind of an extended uh, listening. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, my impression on the short samples uh, provided will be that for music, I hope this goes the way of like uh, quadraphonic sound <laughs> becomes a, a footnote in the history. Uh, I think it might have some, you know, interest for movies and gaming. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just wasn't very impressed. And uh, I found uh, the few samples to be quite different and distracting uh, from the musical content. But I don't know. I couldn't listen to more than 20 seconds or so at a time. So. Well, interesting, because there's another Josquin album that won the early music category, and we're gonna, I'm gonna have a lot of uh, very good things to say about that when we get to it. Okay, we are now in the regular categories, and I guess we should start with record of the year. Which, all right, let me explain to listeners how we did this. There were way too many recordings for us to hear. It just happened that we we reviewed quite a bit of these or talked about them. We don't really review anything; we talk about them on the podcast and um yeah because what do we know yeah what do we know we're not not reviewing anything we're just saying if we like them or not (laughs) anyway we're giving an informed opinion informed by our uh life experience and musical prejudices and musical well i don't know i tend i try to i guess those come in but um I don't know. Okay, so the way we divide it, we couldn't listen to them all. So um, we, we made sure to hear all of the winners, at least one of us, because there wasn't enough time. Gramophone, um, I think September 1st, September 3rd, around that day, Gramophone met, put the short list out. And then they announced the winners three weeks later before I could even get started listening to a lot of these recordings. And then two weeks after that, they had the Gramophone Awards. It's just too short of a window. So... I, I tried to hear the the albums that really interested me at least, and mm-hmm. um, we we Russ and I divided between us um, all eleven categories, the winners of all eleven categories. So I had to hear all the ones with vocals in them, and he heard the ones with the instrumentals in them. And there's a bit of overlap in that. You know, I've heard some of the instrumentals, and I think he heard one or two of the vocal ones too. Um, so it turns out that the uh, the record of the year is not only a vocal. Um, category um, album, but an opera. And it's a, a really good package. Britain, Benjamin Britton, Peter Grimes, Stuart Skelton, tenor, 
He, he plays Peter Grimes. Aaron Wall, soprano, is Ellen Orford. And Roderick Williams, baritone balustrade. Susan Bickley, mezzo-soprano, is Auntie. Um, and there are many, many others. This is really a who's who of uh, great British singers on this album. There are a lot more. Uh, sorry to not go down the list. Okay, this is um, the Choir of Collegium Musicum, Bergen Philharmonic Choir and Orchestra, conducted by Edward Gardner on the Chandos label. It's an SACD, which uh, makes everything even better. This is a pretty spectacular sounding recording. Boy, I'm sibilant today. I gotta get like a sibilant guard <laughs> on this uh, mic or something. All right. Now, I, I made some list of this. I gotta open this particular file here. Here we go. I gave this a pretty careful listen quite a while ago. Um, now, Peter Grimes is the... Uh, you would think the main character he is. He's the main. He's not really the main character as he might, is the the main focus of attention of the other characters in the story. Um, this is really an ensemble piece. At least this on this particular recording, it came out. It came across that way to me. A lot of the drama occurs in what people think and say about Peter Grimes, who's a rather nasty and really by the end mentally ill fisherman who elicits a lot of gossip from the town people. The whole opera takes place in a fishing village. Um, the action uh, takes okay, it takes place in a fishing village, and gossip is a key theme, as you would imagine. Um, the opera starts with a prologue in which Grimes is in court in his fishing village, being cross-examined about the death of his young boy apprentice, who seems to have died of lack of drinking water, so dehydration. Uh, due to Grimes' fanatical desire to reach London after a big catch. The wind turned against them, they were at sea for three days, ran out of drinking water, and the boy died. Swallow, the coroner, also mayor and leading lawyer of the small borough, so, you know, this is a really small borough, returns a verdict of accidental death, and Grimes complains that despite the verdict, the townspeople will continue to gossip about him making his life miserable, which is what happens. Okay, except for Ellen Orford, the schoolmistress, who he loves and who helps him. We're already getting into this tangled um, opera type of um, narrative. A lot of characters, and they're all, they all get intertwined. Um, there are a lot of great uh, orchestral interludes in this work, and they kind of um, comment on the action, sort of, musically, that uh, has been happening. Uh, they depict the state of the sea and the state of Grimes' mind. The two are sort of equated in the opera. It's a really good opera. Actually, it's all in English, by the way. I should say the text is English. Uh, Act 1 starts a few days later. Grimes is being shunned. No one helps him haul his boat ashore. And the apothecary, Ned Keane, has procured a new boy apprentice for Grimes. Ellen agrees to go get him. Act 2 starts with Ellen finding that the boy is bruised and his clothes torn due to abuse at Grimes' hands. Ellen confronts Grimes, they quarrel, and he slaps her. This is not a likable character. <laughs> Some of the community decide to go to Grimes's uh, hut to find out what's going on, and Grimes hears when Grimes hears them coming, he pushes the boy out of a cliffside door, where the boy slips and falls to his death. So now he's killed two of his apprentices. Uh, Grimes scrambles down the cliff after him. In Act Three, Grimes has gone has been gone a few days. There's a dance at the local hall. Mrs. Sedley, one of the borough's leading gossips, overhears Ellen when she tells Balstrode a friendly retired merchant skipper, that she has found the boy's jersey washed up on the shore, and she in turn tells Swallow, the coroner and lawyer. 
Swallow summons the constable Hobson to organize a posse to apprehend Grimes. And in the final scene, Grimes, who is now insane, tries to return to his hut. Ellen and Balstrode find him, but it is too late. Balstrode tells him to sail out to sea. It's too late because he's already crazy. Balstrode tells him to sail out to sea, sink his boat, and go down with it. At dawn, we hear a report of a boat sinking, but no one is concerned. That's the story. Um, gorgeous choral singing. I, I think the... Uh, now, people are going to talk about Stuart Skelton as Grimes, and he has some really fantastic numbers. He plays this role to to be an unlikable character. So you're not really sympathizing with him um, in, his, in his tone. He, he kind of sounds unlikable just, just by the way he's presented by Skelton. It's a good performance. I think if um, the original version of this was um, sung by Peter Pears, of course, because you know, Benjamin Britten's leading uh, tenor among other things. Um, and he, Pears was a, had a likable voice. So there is, I think there's a little sympathy for the character um, there, but Skelton doesn't play him that way. Um, I did find the performance really dramatic. It's not a beautiful opera, but it's very dramatic. I listened to this all the way through in a single setting, which is unusual for me. Usually I'll um, listen to acts, the acts, you know, individually. One that, you know, and I'll take a break in between. But this was really compelling. I wanted to uh, go through and hear it all. It's a very English sounding chorus, which is very appropriate for this. Um, there's a lot of local, there are, there's a lot of local color added to give the opera a bit of realism, local in the small town. And the opera, like I said, goes for drama more than any beauty of singing. No worries there. It's very compelling. Um, the vocal stars and the members of the chorus and the ensemble singing. I thought this was the, the best of this. Um, and I think that opera is designed this way. I don't think the solo parts really... Um, yeah, they get their opportunity to, to be heard, but they don't really ever really own the opera. Because there are so many voices happening in in choruses and in ensemble pieces and things like that. The biggest impression was came from the chorus and the ensemble singing of the soloists for me. And the orchestra is also fantastic on this. Their music provides a lot of drama and foreboding, all expertly handled by Gardner and his orchestra. And some great brass ensemble playing in Interlude 4. Um, let's see. <laughs> okay. Sound quality on this is great, and if you hear it in SACD, probably even better. Um, of all the other operas in this category, I would say, yeah, that would be the one to hear. Uh, eh, good choice, I think, given what we have. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I thought I thought it was really compelling. I liked it a lot. Okay, in the opera category, let's just go through this. We have uh, Dalla Piccola, Luigi Dalla Piccola, Il Prigionier. Il Prigioniero, an Italian opera from the 20th century that I had never heard before, and I made sure to hear this. And I enjoyed this. It was really good. It was very listenable, although a little depressing. The prisoner tries to escape his prison. Um, the original story took place in um, around the time of the Spanish Inquisition, but Dalla Piccola kind of updated it a bit. And um, he escapes and only um, meets his um, jailer, and at the last moment, and I, I don't know. He's we don't know what happens to him. He's either brought back or executed. Um, it sounds depressing, but it's really good, especially on the Chandos recording by uh, uh, the National Concerto Choir and Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Gian Andrea Noceda. It's an SACD too. Excellent stuff. 
John Eccles, Semele. We had an opera of Handel's Semele last year. So now we have the same libretto set by a different composer. This one was um, uh, performed by the Cambridge Handel Opera Company, Academy of Ancient Music, Julian Perkins, AAM on AAM Records. The story is about, uh, it, it involves the gods, the ancient, in this case, Roman gods. Um, really Greek gods with Roman names. Um, Zeus falls for Semele, brings her up to, um, uh, you know, the, I guess Mount Olympus or wherever they are in ancient Rome. And uh, Act Two is all of them um, uh, in the bedroom and uh, Jupiter's wife uh, getting all mad about it. And she uh, tells us, that she disguises herself as Semele's friend and tells um, Semele to uh, ask Zeus to reveal himself in his full godhood and Zeus does that and she is reduced to ash and all the other characters marry the people they like at the end <laughs> give it a listen it's really good okay Henry Purcell or Purcell we're supposed to say these days the fairy queen I've heard several recordings of this this is by the Gabrielli consort and players Paul McCreesh on Signum Records uh charming really great there's it's mostly ensemble works in this one because I think it's um it's not really an opera as much as it's um there's a lot of incidental music I think there's a lot of um dialogue in this that we don't hear on this recording but these are charming works I really enjoyed this a lot give that a listen the next one Antonio Salieri who you might um you know from you know you might have heard his name in the opera the movie Amadeus um, he was a contemporary of Mozart um, he was hardly the hack that the movie sort of makes him out to be I mean he um, had a good career um, and uh, this is uh, one of the operas that made him Arminda it was uh, recorded it was uh, made it was I'm sorry it was performed when he was very young I think he was 18 years old when he wrote this uh, I didn't actually hear this one so I'm not going to say much more about it but it's on the Aparte label AP244 uh, performed by um, soloists Le Talens Lyrique conducted by Christophe Rousset, who does a lot, like William Christie, who we talked about last week, I believe, um, to revive French opera. The last one is Richard Strauss, Die Frau ohne Schatten, the, the Woman Without a Shadow, um, one of the operas he did with uh, Hofmannsthal. Um, this one came after De Rosenkavalier. I didn't hear this one. I would like to, though. I'm going to have to. Christian Thielemann is the... Um, Conductor and the chorus and orchestra of the Vienna State Opera are the performers. This is on the Orfeo um, label. And um, yeah, I don't know the uh, soloists here. Stephen Gould, uh, Camilla Nilund, and Nina Stemma are the, uh, the some of the singers. So that's the opera category and the record of the year. And the winner of the opera category, Benjamin Britten, Peter Grimes. Let's go to the top. Chamber music. Chamber the winner music. here. Yeah. Uh, I we both heard this one, I think. Yeah. I should say first, all of these recordings are really excellent quality recordings, the sound on them. Uh, they're really amazing, uh, yeah. which I, is not as much as I could say for all of the categories, but everything right. here is fabulous sounding. Uh, not yeah, only so the, that. They're all fantastic performances as well. These, this is a really hot category, you know, hotly contested category. I think, mm. as far as I'm concerned, I don't know how the voting actually went, but I liked all of these. I would hear all six. 
Yeah, so we've got the winner, the uh, Tokox Quartet, with Garrick Olson, uh, Beach and Elgar, piano quintets. And um, these are really passionate performances, uh, especially on the uh, beach. It's got a really dramatic first movement. And uh, well, the Elgar is also uh, quite dramatic with a lovely second movement. Um, what I noticed about uh, the Tukox, uh, group is that uh, they have a really unique uh, string tone, especially in the violins. Yeah, um, that, that's what it, helps them in this recording. Yeah, really. it's. I have their uh, Brahms uh, quartets recording also, and that really uh, searing tone uh, to the violins, it's identifiable uh, almost instantly. And uh, so these performances are really good of uh, these. Uh, early 20th century works and the recording quality is also superb so i guess it's easy to see uh, why they were picked for the winners well, in this category there yeah i want to mention by the way the uh, beach amy beach string qu quintet we reviewed a recording of this by the kaleidoscope chamber collective and we kind of we we joked about you know that there a lot of climaxes being reached in the uh in the piece and mm -hmm. uh the Kaleidoscope Chamber Collective kind of really drew out a lot of that in the uh, the in the um, in their performance. The Tokach performance in Garrick Olson, this particular one, is a lot more subtle. I thought um, they really didn't like highlight all the climaxes the way the Kaleidoscope Chamber Collective did. They kind of you know kind of you know they didn't they didn't accent them. Let's say just they just kind of kept going. I thought this was a really authoritative and performance they got the magisterial tone that the beach demands um they were just more sensitive i thought now that's not to um say that the kaleidoscope chamber collective performance wasn't good it was it's just a different approach so it really depends on what you're looking for there um the elgar is a big work yeah this is a big work each movement is over 10 minutes long that's a lot for a chamber a chamber group and uh that was that was really appealing as well. So I I actually would hear this for yeah this whole recording is really great. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Now did you hear the Beethoven violin sonatas? Uh yes, I did. Yeah. Um, these I are, thought this was a spectacular yeah, performance these are and recording. Also very passionately performed with great yeah. dynamics. That's what stood I know stood out for me. And uh, Ennis is uh, real. I guess he has, to me, a singing quality uh, yeah. to the way he pr he uh, plays. And uh, yeah, so. now this is James Ennis is the artist of the year. Remember, we mentioned earlier, and this is the his this recording of his and Andrew Armstrong on piano right. on the Onyx, Onyx label, label. Mm -hmm. were um, yeah um, no nominated for the Chamber Award. Okay. Yeah, this was fantastic. Yeah, I like um, this a lot. I, yeah, the, just the, I was overwhelmed really by the sound quality and the balance between the violin and piano. Everything is just so perfectly captured on this record. I thought this one would probably win the category just because of the recording quality and because, as you know, Ennis, you know, he's won the um, the Artist of the Year award. I kind of figured that this would really put him over the top, but I guess it didn't. Okay, <laughs> so okay. Next we have. Um, Simpson and Mozart. Oh, this was so good. Especially the Mark Simpson piece. 
Now, we listened to this last year. I remember kind of sending this your way. This is long before we started the uh, the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, but the uh, it's a clar it's a it's a clarinet um, work or for it worked for solo clarinet. I don't think it's a, I wouldn't call it a concerto, but it's called Geyser, Mark Simpson's work, and um, it features one of the things I loved about it. The, the clarinet is really hyperactive, and uh, one of the qualities I love about the clarinet is it can get this when it plays really rapidly and it's lower end. It gets this kind of like bubbling lava kind of sound like and he does a lot of that in this work and I kind of enjoyed it it's 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 very appealing it's only seven minutes long and the rest of the uh, CD or the album is dedicated to Mozart's uh, Grand Partita Serenade expertly played here this is on the Orchid label and uh, they come, who, who plays on this boy there's a lot of people um, yeah they don't have an ensemble name it's just individuals yeah they just list all of the uh, musicians yeah okay um, all right, but give that a listen. I would hear all of this. It's really good. I liked, uh, well, especially the uh, woodwind performances on the Mozart are very robust and yeah. uh, it comes through with the recording sound. The only thing I feel, th- there's a few other albums in the lists that uh, it's an odd pairing to me mm-hmm. uh, to, oh, it is. to jump to jump from The Simpson to the Mozart. Uh, as far he as claims that he wrote The Simpson as an introduction to the Mozart. Yeah. Though. But, but I don't know about that. It sounds a lot different. Yeah, I'm glad he told us that. Um, that yeah, that's the only thing. Um, individually, yeah, they're both very uh, interesting. But uh, you might want a little coffee break between listening to them. Uh, Maybe. Just my yeah, opinion. I, I liked this a lot. Okay. Telemann, I didn't hear. It's Baroque. I know I'd love it. Did you hear this? Yes, I did. Oh. These are... Excellent performances and uh, really detailed but full-sounding recording. Uh, well, I know really what I'm doing tonight. Really good Telemann performances. <laughs> yeah, you'll like this. Okay. Uh, listen to it's this called one. La Quere... Oh, God. La Quereluz. On the It's on the Etcetera label, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting label name. Uh, yeah. But La yeah. Quereluz. Uh, Quereluz. I'm trying to say it the French way. I can't really well, do it anymore. I mean, I thought they were really good, but the gramophone write-up of it was really gushing in the performances. Uh, so, um, Did you think that the performance lived up to the gushing review? Um, you know, I, I've listened to some uh, Telemann, but I don't know if I've heard all of these uh, works to compare exactly to. But uh, I thought it was, you know, very good. I could see why it was on the list, yeah. And I enjoyed the contrast, you know, in time periods and things when I got to this. Yeah. So. When I read a gushing review, I'm always worried that my expectations are too high. And then you hear it and I'm like, yeah, this is, it's good, but it's mm. <laughs> not as good as they said it was. So I, was, I almost want to read a bad review and then say, what are they talking about? This is fantastic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Next, a record we re- reviewed or talked about on the podcast, Proust, Le Concert Retrouvé. Um, a concert at the Ritz during the Belle Epoque. This was performed by our good friend. We say our friend. We never talked to him. Theotim Langlois de Swart and Tangui de Willencourt on piano. De Swart is playing the violin. Yeah, we just and talked about f- him uh, last weekend, didn't we? We did in the Baroque performance. Yeah. On this uh, this recording, we talked about in episode nine, if you'd yeah. like to go back and check that out. Uh, mostly, I liked it. The program is interesting, and his lovely, sweet violin sound, this uh, really light sound with great phrasing. Uh, so it's an enjoyable program. 
Yeah, I personally thought that we we did this in tandem with the uh, Stephen Asurlis, um sort of a similar Proust concert right. program. He's on the cello. Um, and um, I thought that was the better recording, but they picked this one. This one, I loved the program. It had a lot of my favorite works on it. And but I felt like the um, the balance because um, La Gloire d'Asphalte has a very kind of light, gent- delicate tone, and uh, you know you can hear him to his best advantage, accompanied by William Christie, on the record that we um, reviewed last week. Uh, but with the Erard piano playing of Tanguy de Villancourt, I felt like the balance was off, like he he couldn't be heard all the time, and I thought some of the the interpretations were a little odd. That was me. Okay, <laughs> that's the way I felt about it. I liked the the Asurlis, uh, recording. It was it was more straightforward. And I really preferred that one, mm. and that one was also an SACD. And this one is not. This is on the Harmonia, Harmonia Mundi label, by the way. I may have to listen to this again, though. I don't know. It's been months. So I should give it another listen and see if my mind has changed. It's a nice one. Right? Yeah. I mean, maybe because we listen to them at the same time. We're comparing. Yeah. Next one, Nordic Rhapsody. We reviewed this one too. This is episode 25. Yes. Oh. Hmm. SACD. Beast SACD. Um, Johan Dahlin, a violinist who uh, did a great, I believe, Tchaikovsky um, violin concerto last year. Or was it Barber? I can't remember. Maybe it was both. And then Christian Ile Hadland on the piano, who's considerably older than him, I think. Um, yeah, I liked this a lot too. Yeah, this is the one with the Nordic program uh, right. here. So you get it's it called some Nordic Nielsen, Rhapsody. which is always good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know the sending, so that was good to hear something new. I thought uh, it's mostly lovely playing sometimes. You know, he may be a, a bit too over the top uh, with enthusiasm, but he's only mm-hmm. 20 years old. So, uh, yeah, really uh, amazing young player. Uh, on violin here yeah okay next we come to the choral music the winner here is um dusek um dusek i should pronounce it he's czech all right his messe solennelle which came out in 1811 um now if you know your music history you know beethoven wrote his fifth symphony in 1808 and this was really beethoven's big dominant kind of um period so this um, mass comes across as a bit of a throwback to an earlier era. There are even Baroque elements in it. But, I mean, it, it does very much sound like it's cast in a classical mold. This was um, performed by the Academy of Ancient Music, Choir of the AAM, and the harpsichordist Richard Richard Egar is the um, conductor here, and he's probably also playing the... Con- well, there's no continual. Okay, the vocalists are Stephanie True, Helen Charleston, Gwilym Bowen, and Morgan Pierce, and the album is on AAM Records. First of all, if you buy the CD of this album, it's absolutely fantastic. It's got a hardback, like, CD-sized booklet in it, um, and along with a CB, C, a cardboard box that contains the CD, and both slip into a hard slipcase. It's really good value. It'll probably last forever, too. Um, and it's an excellent, excellent design, too. I, I really liked the package. It'd be nice if more things came out like this. Uh, the album consists only of the hour-long mass. And uh, Dushek was Czech. 
Um, he he um, he came from I guess the area just east of Vienna, and Vienna at the time was a real hotbed of musical creativity during Mozart's and Beethoven's lifetime, both and really into the 20th century. Um, this is a, it's an attractive work that's worth hearing, and it's given a really sumptuous performance here. Um, the mass is pretty elaborate, and uh, it harkens back to the Baroque at the beginning in the Kyrie. Um, it's gorgeously sung. I love the choruses in this um, recording. Um, the, sig- the, qu- the singing quickly becomes operatic and leaves the Baroque behind once the Kyrie is over. Okay, and then I have like, there are a lot of tracks on this album, 19 tracks in total until we get to the very end. I enjoyed it. It, it went by very fast, which is unusual for a mass for me, especially if it's a real mass and you're actually in church. But uh, it was um, this was a really nice um, performance. It seemed like a continuous piece of music. It didn't seem like it went by like in sections, which it did. Um, Dushek doesn't seem to be picking up on much that Beethoven was doing at the time, but it doesn't matter. It's a late classical work, and it's got some Baroque touches, and I liked it. It was good. Okay, some other recordings in this um, category. Bieber, um, Requiem in F minor, and some other vocal works. We talked about this on the podcast. You remember this one? Yeah, I don't know which episode yeah. it was. but um... we, we liked this one. We thought it was, it, the, the sound quality was really good. And we liked the, uh, the sound world that the whole Bieber work conjured up. It was sort of a Baroque-era sort of rich tone. This is by the Freiburg Baroque Consort with Lionel Meunier on the Alpha label, one of our favorite labels, actually. Um, and uh, also, we thought this was well worth hearing. I didn't re-listen to this, but uh, I remember that we talked about it back in the day. But we, we liked it, and mm. I recommend hearing it. Okay, next is um, Bruckner, Latin Motets. I didn't hear this one. Sorry, sorry, folks. <laughs> anyway, let's go past that. I'm really curious to hear what a, a Bruckner motet would sound like, because I just know the, the symphony, so I'm going to have to give that a listen. Haydn, die Schöpfung. Now, this one, I didn't hear this one either, but I want to mention, this is by Il Giardino Armonico and Giovanni Antonini conducting, um, and I've been following their Haydn symphonies, um, you know, Haydn, the Haydn 20... 2027 project, I believe it's called. Oh, 2030. I can't remember now. Boy, I should have written this down. Uh, it's, this is part of that, but it's not a symphony. It's um, a, a core work about uh, the creation. It's sung in German. Uh, Anna Lucia Richter is the soprano on this, and we talked about her Monteverdi recording um, on an earlier episode. Uh, Maximilian Schmidt is the tenor, Florian Busch, baritone, Bavarian radio choir. And Il Giardino Armonico, of course. Um, I'd have to hear this to really talk about it, though, because I don't know what their approach was. They had been doing a lot of aggressive sort of, um, you know, pacing of their music. And I, I, mean, I have to hear this. Next, Purcell, or Purcell, Henry Purcell. They keep making me say Purcell. I don't like it. Royal Odes by the King's Consort with a who's who of British vocal soloists. This is on the Vivat label. Um, I'm going to have to issue a trigger warning for this one. Um, the texts are all written to um, kings or queens of the time, um, and they're very obsequious. So if, if you're 
put off by vomit-inducing obsequiousness, you might not like these. If you could just kind of uh, let that go, these are really fantastic works. They're beautifully <laughs> recorded, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are all kinds of things in the in the text, like re relating the, um, the king and the queen to Caesar, you know, uh, who rules the world and is good to his subjects or her subjects. Uh, that sort of thing. If you think of Bach's letter to um, the the when he was trying to get a job to this um, this um, wealthy you know royal, it's it's really just horrible because you think of Bach as the, the top guy, but it wasn't that way at the time. Um, anyway, but the record it's uh, this is really good. I like this a lot. There are three works on it. They are Why Are All the Muses Mute? Um, the second ode, How Does the Glorious Day Appear? Now Does the Glorious Day Appear? Written for the birthday of Queen Mary in 1689. And the uh, two years later, he wrote another piece for Queen Mary's birthday called Welcome, Welcome, Glorious Morn. Nice titles. I really like the, uh, the, the sort of poeticness of these of these titles i kind of miss that in english these days this is an exceptionally clear recording with just enough reverb to prevent the recording from sounding dry so it's not terribly there's not a lot of room sound but there's enough it's a very natural sound sounds like a big space um the three odes are kind of samey you know they sound like purcell's music but they're all uplifting um if you want to, you know what you do? If you want to be uplifted, read the obsequious text and uh, pretend that they're being sung to you. You can feel good about yourself. <laughs> can be an aristocrat for a day, yes. Yeah, you can be an aristocrat for a day. This is what's nice about recorded uh, classical music is you, you are the audience now. It's not just some some European, long dead European king or queen anymore. Um, anyway, the last in this category was Ethel Smith, The Prison. Now, this is it's a vocal yeah, it's it's hard to explain what this is um she describes it as a symphony in the ancient greek sense of concordance of sweet sounds not in the sense of orchestral genre but it's it's a really interesting work now we talked about this on the, the grammys earlier in the year this was nominated for a choral grammy which it didn't i don't think it won i don't remember um, but um, I listened to this again, and I really I liked it a lot more this time. It is a very British work. Ethel Smith was English. <laughs> Incidentally, there's a picture of her with um, a bunch of. Uh, a, it says it's a photo of her and a bunch of guys in suits, and the <laughs> caption reads Dame Ethel S Smith with other composers, all male, at an ISCM festival in Salzburg, August 1922. Okay. Now, she's the only woman there, and she didn't need that highlighted, I didn't think, in the caption. But the other composers, yeah, oh, just other other composers, Two, three of those other composers were Anton Webern, Paul Hindemith, and Smith's compatriot Arthur Bliss. And they're all pretty high-level people in the composition world, so I, I think they deserved a little shout-out for being in that photo as well. All right? Anyway... There's uh, other, other guys. Other guys. Anton other guys. Webern isn't an other guy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Neither is Paul Hindemith. <laughs> yeah, all the other composers could have, I probably could have been referred to as other guys. I don't know, because I didn't know who they were. Um, okay, there's an essay on the composer's life, which is very informative. Okay, they're trying to 
revive this uh, composer's music. She was pretty popular, as are many composers we find during their lifetimes. And then once they die, their music just sort of goes away. And it really depends on whether they have like a support group that's going to get them uh, or a society that's going to get them performed and keep proselytizing for them. Um, so Ethel Smith is benefiting a lot from um, the revival of women composers these days. So she's a lot of her music is coming back as well. Uh, this was an interesting work, actually. It's, it, 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 I think it takes it takes a few listens to really get it. Um, it's a little strange, um, and I wrote long notes on it that I don't want to go through. It's got some really interesting points in it. Where there's one bit where she uses um, Greek modes, and you can hear you can hear it very clearly that this is really different than the rest of the composition. It's sort of about this this prisoner. It, he's he's in prison and he's gonna die, and it's about how his soul will you know, rise to a better place. And at the end, it does that. It's pretty interesting. Worth hearing. It's also an SACD, which makes it, and it sounds great. All right. After that, the concerto category. What have we got here? The winner well, the is winner, Shostakovich. I Shostakovich. didn't hear this. I'm embarrassed to say. Okay. So we've got mm. the Shostakovich violin concertos with uh, yeah. uh, a lady we've listened to before, Alina Ibrahimova. Yeah, I like violin. her a lot. The yeah. State Academic Symphony Orchestra of Russia. Uh, and uh, this is on Hyperion. Yeah, Evgeny uh, Zvetlanov is conducting the orchestra yes. there. And, and uh, Vladimir Jurovsky as well. Okay, and on one of the other works. Now, we heard her in uh, episode 14 on the right. Paganini. And mm. uh, I like that a lot. Here... Uh, I guess I'm just not a big fan of these concertos. Mm -hmm. uh, the performances are very strong, mm -hmm. uh, but the works are rather dense. Uh, and also, I felt that the recording itself has kind of a dark quality to it in the orchestra, but her tone is very abrasive uh, to me. Uh, really? Yeah, she it's usually just, isn't. I'm kind of curious about this. Yeah, now. I just maybe it's called for in these works, and you know, I'm. Uh, violin concertos are not my favorite thing. Uh, I think of her as having but, a really small, intimate tone, and these are big orchestral works, so yeah. maybe it's, she's using a different tone here. I, just, I, I have just, to hear this now. Just my impression. But certainly, mm -hmm. I mean, the performances uh, are very dynamic, uh, so maybe that was uh, the outstanding characteristic of these. Uh, the next one is the, and that, and this is the winner, uh, the other That's nomination, the yeah, is uh, Beethoven Triple Concerto. On, I didn't uh, hear this one either. Harmonia Mundi. Uh, this is uh, Isabel Faust, Freiburger Bauch Orchestra, uh, with yeah. Jean Guhen Kiaris. Yeah. Oh, and, by the way, uh, we should mention the Shostakovich is on Hyperion. I don't think yes. I said that. Okay. Uh, and uh, Alexander Mel 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 Melnikov, who Melnikov, Faust, Isabel yeah. Faust often records Plays with together. Him. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one, I thought the playing is really nice, especially the blend of the instruments. Uh, uh, they sort of meld together really nicely. But the recording quality to me uh, was a bit muffled. Uh, and so I felt like I wanted to change my seat in the uh, <laughs> recording venue, but I couldn't. Um, but yeah, the, the music uh, was really good along with the, uh, the blend of the... Uh, instruments, so it was enjoyable. Uh, then we have uh, 
next uh, one we've uh, talked about way back in episode five. Uh, right, Hilary this Hahn, was great. Yeah, uh, on Deutsche Grammophon uh, Paris, hmm. uh, the name of the uh, title. This has uh, Chasson Prokofiev and Rotvara. Uh, interesting program. Yeah, and uh, I guess the common point being that all the works had their premiere performances in Paris. Right, uh, hence the title. And this is just beautiful playing. Uh, this is Hilary Hahn, Radio yeah. France Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Miko Frank on the Deutsche Grammophon label, mm -hmm. label of the year. And uh, yeah, this is one of my favorites in the list. This one is uh, probably the one I like most in this yeah. of the ones I've heard in this category. Um, next nomination was one we also discussed in episode 12, uh, the right. Elgar, Violin also Concerto excellent. and Violin Sonata. Uh, Renaud, Renaud Capuçon, violin, and, and the sonata Stephen Huff plays the piano. And London Symphony Orchestra, Sir Simon Rattle. Um, the Arito yeah, we, label. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we liked these a lot, uh, if I remember. And, or Erato. Uh, you can pronounce it either way, I've, I understand. Yeah. She's one of the uh, muses. Yeah, okay. we enjoyed this before. I, I listened to it a bit again, and I liked it again this time, too. Yeah, I, I didn't hear it again. Okay, but I did. I remember really liking this. I like uh, Capuzon in general. Him and his uh, brother Gautier, who plays the cello, I generally like everything they do. And this was a uh, yet another uh, winner for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, next, Martinu and uh, Bartok. This is a really appealing program that I didn't hear. It's on SACD though. Uh, it features the Bartok solo violin sonata, Martinu's violin concertos, which I bet are really great, especially after hearing the. Um, the orchestration in the uh, Fidile album that we heard last week by um, um, Knajikova. I forgot her first name. Katagina Knajikova, right? She she did a Mart Martinu, Martinu piece. Did you hear this? I did, but oh. um, yeah, I don't. I know the bar talk. I don't know the Martinu. Uh, right. I read about it too, which. Uh, the description said they're very fresh interpretations in uh, Zimmerman's playing, but uh, I didn't personally care for either one of the really? works. Okay. So yeah, this I tend one... to like him. Yeah, he isn't. Yeah, he's not like a favorite composer, but I tend to really be fascinated by his orchestration. Mm. I have to hear this now. Hmm. Yeah, you should listen to it. You might okay. like it more than I did. I, it just didn't really register uh, with me much. Maybe it'll take some listens. I don't know. All right, next Poulenc on the Resonance label. Um, played by, um, who played this? Uh, Mark Bebbington, Bebbington piano. Yes. And, and Royal uh, John, Philharmonic. Yeah, we also have John Roberts on the oboe and Jonathan Davies on the bassoon on some of the works. Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, Jan Latham König, conductor. Did you hear this? I didn't. Yes. Um, oh. <laughs> I thought the, you know, the works, the orchestrations are really lush and, uh, as well as the performances, match that character uh i really enjoyed uh the music and performance the recording wasn't uh the clearest uh in the list uh for sonics but uh nevertheless um yeah it's you know plonk's music is kind of uh you know relaxing and uh it's kind of uh, yeah, cabaretish. It's sort of in a yeah. popular vein often. Not, yeah, it's easy it can to follow, be dramatic though. Um, but yeah. I thought it was lush uh, and easy good. to follow so, is a good. Yeah, it's yeah. generally pretty easy to follow. I, I enjoyed this recording, um, but yeah, um, 
I guess my favorite in this list is uh, probably the Hilary Hahn. Yeah, I like that one the best um, of the ones I heard. My number two would be the Elgar. uh, My favorite. Yeah. Those are the two we talked about. Too, yeah. So they, yeah. yeah. So good. You you chose them. So <laughs> good no, selections. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. right. Okay. Good so those were those were good choices. Yep. Not not always the case with me. <laughs> oh. Anyway, sell uh, yourself short. Ah, I wouldn't do that. Anyway, next we have the contemporary category. The winner is um, John Picard, or I wonder if it's Picard, like the uh, Star Trek uh, guy. Make it so number one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is um, the the way they've labeled this is funny. the The main piece on this is the Garden of Aleppo, but they've um, put uh, three chicken studies first, which is oh, really? a really funny oh. title. Yeah, in the in their list here, Daughters of Zion, which is a song, the Garden of Aleppo, and Ghost Train and the Fagatus of Afranio, and there's a work called Snowbound and a Serenata Concertata. Um, Susan Bickley sings the Daughters of Zion, and the rest of the uh, album is by the Nash Ensemble. Nash Ensemble, sorry, conducted by Martin Brabens. It's on a Beast SACD. And let me see. I'm nah, I got all these windows open, and I can't get to what I want. Okay, here we go. I heard this record all the way through, and I thought it was okay. Um. He's a British composer, born in Burnley, in England, in 1963. So he's really our generation. This is a very generous 80-minute program. Starts with the Gardener of Aleppo. You know, the Aleppo has been in the news lately. Um, and uh, this is for flute, viola, and harp. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I thought of Debussy right away. He has a very famous sonata for flute, viola, and harp. Um, this really, Debussy's work is magical. And uh, but this uh, Picard work is far more downbeat. You would, and understandably so. The viola is a pretty dark-toned instrument, and that's why Debussy wanted it in his work. And but Picard really does draw out its darkness here. Um, he uses the dark tones for the viola and the flute's ability to shriek in its highest register to great advantage. Uh, the title of the work refers to a gardener featured on a UK Channel 4 news story in 2016. He and his son sold plants to residents while the city was being bombed during the Syrian civil war, and he was eventually killed by a bomb six weeks after the interview. The piece isn't bad. It's got a strong rhythm of profile. The harp acts like a percussion instrument for much of it. It's fairly dramatic, and it's listenable. I mean, when I said the shrieking tone of the flute, it comes across as dramatic as opposed to, say, something like... uh, that you, that's going to really put you off. Um, it was good. I thought it was okay. The next work, Daughters of Zion for Mezzo, Soprano, and Chamber Orchestra. Um, this one is features Susan Bickley, Mezzo, Soprano. Um, the poem is by Gavin da Costa, who is a professor of Catholic theology at the University of Bristol. And the poem questions whether Mary, Jesus' mother, would have agreed again to Gabriel. To Gabriel, God, to Gabriel's Annunciation, the angel Gabriel, were she to know the millennia of horrors that Jews would suffer as a result. So she's Jewish, right? The work starts with swooping strings and confused percussion. The soprano comes in and sings mostly in a disconnected monosyllabic style that I personally find very appealing. It sounds very 20th century to me. Um, Bickley is very good in this. Uh, I didn't really like this much. I I feel like the style of this um, work has seen its day. All right, Snowbound. 
for bass clarinet, cello, and piano. Okay, so I'm all excited now. We have the bass clarinet and any bass reed instrument I'm just going to love, right? And this does explore, this work does explore the darker colors of all three instruments. Um, there's a lot of bass rumbling in the piano, but the piece itself, I thought it was okay. I didn't dislike it, but it didn't do much for me. Okay, the next is uh, the first multi-movement work on the album, Serenata Contratata. This is Philippa Davies on solo flute. I like her a lot. I've heard her on... She's on... Um, I don't know. Okay. She's on a lot of uh, flute recordings that I uh, really enjoy, so I was happy to hear this too. Um, there's also a second offstage flute that's pre-recorded for this performance, and it's uh, five movements, but it's played through without a pause. Uh, it starts with a cadenza, it's pretty quiet and spacious. Um, there's, then there's an aria, labeled an aria. The piano enters. The mood really doesn't change much. Strings come in. The third movement is a scherzo. Features tremolo springs, played quietly and fleetingly. Another cadenza, crashing piano chord with flute forte in the high end. Then um, the flute goes into its shrieking range in this one. It quiets down towards the end. And the fifth movement, aria two, Features a buildup of chords. The flute plays a lonesome melody while gently accompanied by gentle piano chords and shimmering strings. Um, again, this piece, I thought it was just okay. It didn't really... It wasn't unappealing, but it didn't just grab my attention. Now, next, um, we have three chicken studies. And it turns out that the composer Picard kept chickens as pets for many years and was fascinated by their mood. So he wrote these three very short works for oboe solo. He tried to capture their um, activities. The first movement is called Laying. Um, this wasn't very chicken-like to me. It had kind of a matter-of-fact quality to it. It's rather quiet. Uh, feeding has a clucking rhythm that we would expect um, from chickens. They're pretty calm. Look, look, sounds like they're searching around for grain. And movement three, Fighting. This is not as violent a movement as you would think. It features a lot of tremolo interspersed with quick a quick clucking rhythm, so the angry chicken, I guess. Number, <laughs> okay, so at this point, by this point, I think this album is just okay. What made this a really good record to me are the last two tracks, which are older. Um, track 12 is the Fagatus of Afranio, uh, composed in 1992. This is a capriccio. A Fagatus was a musical instrument that was once mistakenly believed to have been an ancient forerunner of the bassoon, but it's not. It was invented by a crazy Italian named Franio del Diabonesi in the 16th century. It was part bagpipes and part chamber organ. So it's kind of like a one-man band type thing. You would carry it around and operate it via bellows under your arms. It was just this big monstrosity. So Picard in this work imagines the instrument um, having trouble getting started and running into trouble at various points. And so the piece kind of reflects that. It starts pretty spectacularly in the honking lower end of the bassoon. So you get that really nice reedy sound with the piano accompanying in that range. As it lurches forward, it often gets interrupted. I like the whole timbre of the bassoon all the way through in this piece. And it's a pretty cute piece. The last, um, album, the last piece on this album is called Ghost Train. It's pretty recent, 2016. For flute, clarinet, violoncello, double bass, and piano, the flute and clarinet cover variations on their instruments as well. So you get bass clarinet, uh, contrabass clarinet. Oh, spectacular. I love it. The piece has a perpetuum mobile rhythm um, because the the ghost train of the title is derived from the um, 
it's it refers to a roller coaster type fairground ride that ran through dark spaces and occasionally you see this um horrific scene lit up as you sped by it i've been on rides like this when i was a child i don't know if they still exist um but um the material in this is derived from the dies ide in the mass for the dead i didn't actually catch that i'm gonna have to hear it again Okay, but it starts out like with a train on the tracks rhythm, and occasional stabs from the rest of the ensemble. There's some pretty cool low reed timber, reed timbers in this work. Uh, I like this, and it's beautifully recorded. Uh, this particular album, by the way, if you have a surround sound in your house, um, <laughs> I wonder if any of our listeners do. Uh, this is it's a good way to hear it. It makes it, the the sound is beautifully recorded. It's really rich, and the surround kind of makes it more spacious. Um, feeling surrounded by the sound helps the tone of the works to register more strongly um this is a really beautifully recorded album too it's really clear um i can see why this disc won i think the album itself though is rather a mixed bag musically and i like the last two works the best all right so did you hear this by the way yeah i listened to this um i thought it's kind of fun um because towards the end i thought it was fun anyway because it's the variety. Uh, right. There's a lot of different types of compositions and different sounds. Uh, so I didn't get bored while I was listening to it. Um, I didn't like or find everything particularly interesting, but I was always surprised at the next composition. Uh, so uh, right. in that sense, I, I thought it was interesting and entertaining. Okay. Now, the the other two works that I heard are by... Well, no, actually, we heard three more of these. But uh, two of the works, the, the uh, contemporary composers on this have died in recent years. The first one, Louis Andriessen, Dutch composer, died in June, I believe, or July, earlier this year. So um, this will be, I think they give you three years after you die to be a contemporary composer in this category, and then they put you somewhere else when, mm-hmm. when, if, your records, if your music keeps getting recorded. The Andriessen um, album is called The Only One, and it's a 21-minute piece, and that's all that's on the album. That's all you get. Um, it features Nora Fisher as the soprano. She's a, a jazz singer, I believe, um, and she's singing with the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Esa Pekka Salonen. This is on the uh, Nonesuch label. This... Um, Let's see. It's it's um, composed for female jazz singer and large ensemble. Uh, it was composed for Nora Fisher, and she premiered the work at the Proms in London in 2019. So if you were there, good for you. Uh, the recording was made um, before that performance, so before the premiere, uh, in May 2 to 5, 2019. Um, this was released um, when the composer was still alive in March of this year. The texts are from five short poems um, from a Dutch set of poetry that translates it to English as The Animals in Me. <laughs> that really intrigued me. By a Flemish poet, um, Delphine Lecomte. Okay, it's from the Dutch-speaking part of Belgium. So the poems are all in, in Dutch, I think. I don't remember now. The texts have all been... Tra- oh, I'm sorry. They're in English. The tra- texts have been translated into English by the poet uh, with additions from a- Andreessen's wife. Wow. The American and Dutch violinist Monica Germino. The texts are sung in English. Okay. But the original poems are in Dutch. I liked this, actually. I thought it was pretty... You know, Andreessen has a kind of rock and roll quality to his um, music. 
Um, this has a reduced orchestra, and he adds um, bass and guitar to it to get his characteristic sound. He's one of those composers who combine highbrow and lowbrow music to break down divisions. And uh, in his case, it often works really well. I've liked a lot of his music, and I liked this a lot. Um, I could go through the movements, but I think um, it's. I'll just say that the, it's all in a familiar idiom, so it's really easy on the ear, especially if you like things that are sort of loud and aggressive. It's not off-puttingly aggressive, though. It's kind of more like rock and roll aggressive. Um, it jumbles up so many popular idioms that it's hard to describe what this sounds like. You really need to hear it. Um, I'd say it's postmodern minimalist, meaning jumbles of styles held together by repeating rhythms. Don't think of postmodern as you know the way politics is going today. I mean it by mixing styles together as though they're all kind of in the same soup. Um, this is worth a listen. Um, the neurotic poems intrigued me too because I was born in New York. And, <laughs> and the singer's unique voice too. She's kind of a jazz singer singing sort of like... you can. There's a jazz quality to her voice, but she's singing like she's a classical singer. It's really uh, unusual. I, I'd give this a listen, everybody. I liked it a lot. I'm going to okay, be the contrarian here. I, I couldn't stand this one. <laughs> you can stand least this? my favorite of all the nominations. Oh, really? It, yeah. I didn't hear them yep. all, but... Uh, uh, I yep. like his music in general, though, kind of. Okay, uh, I liked I it. Might like something else, but not this one for me. Okay, um, Finnessy, Pious Anthems and Voluntaries. Didn't hear this one. Did you hear this? Yes, I did. And okay. I was surprised by this one because, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of uh, choral works, but yeah. uh, I was drawn into this one. And hmm. uh, I found it interesting. And uh, I had so much to listen to on these things. And right. I was listening specifically. But when I put this on... I kind of zoned out, and I found it really calming. And, really, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, so this fantasy's music usually isn't like that. I gotta. Oh man, now I have to hear this. Yeah, this is by the way. By the yeah, this is on the uh, Signum label. Signum, yeah, yeah, and it's um, the choir of St. John's College, Cambridge. Um, a lot of people on this. Andrew Nethsinga with Sarah O'Flynn on flute, Cecily Ward violin, Glenn Dempsey, James Anderson Bassant on the organ, and that's it. Next one, Lim, Extinction Events and Dawn Chorus, Axis Monday, Songs Found in Dream. This is performed by Sophie, we're really, we're really messing this up, or at least I am. Sophie Schaffleitner on violin, mm. Leverley Dowling, I may have mistyped that on bassoon. Klang Forum Wien and Stefan Asbury and Peter Rundel on the Kairos label. Did you hear this? Yeah. Well, how, what did you think? Um, I didn't hear it. Yeah, I I didn't care for it. Um, mm. uh, I would just say, if you like kind of very contemporary atonal kind of music, uh, oh, there, there are <laughs> some interesting brass parts uh, here. Yeah. Uh, so I thought the brass players were having fun, but um, it, it just not the type of uh, work that I'm... Uh, usually interested in uh I, I listened to a little bit of each one and uh yeah uh, okay not for me <laughs> right works that we're both um definitely interested interested in are by christopher rouse this was um symphony number no. five and concerto for orchestra now we discussed this as part of the grammy awards um you know podcasts earlier in the year and we both heard this album and really liked it 
Yeah, this is episode four. And, right. Uh, this one's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Ralph's, of course, died, um, I believe, last or maybe it was 2019. Um, but he recently died as well. This is a lot of fun, right? Um, yeah, because the, it's like a um, it interweaves elements from uh, Beethoven's symphony into his. So, um, right. and it's got kind of uh, some interesting change change ups in it, uh, where uh, you know this kind of slow movement begins. It's got some nice woodwinds uh, and some bombastic timpani in there. Um, yeah, uh, all the things you want from. Rouse, uh, actually, it's a little bit prettier than some of his things, maybe, uh, for the yeah, Beethoven yeah. influence, but it still has that nice percussion and uh, other exciting things. You know, the concerto for orchestra was really great, too. I really liked that that from him, too. He's, he tends to up the volume quite a bit, which I really enjoy about his music. Mm -hmm. He's got a big rock and roll influence. The... <laughs> The last it one in this category, I don't really know why this is even in this category, because um, it's, um, oh, I, I've lost my uh, place here. Okay, is uh, Plaisir Illuminé, and we actually talked about this, because it's... This is um, all the way back to episode two. Yeah, wow, because um, Patricia Kopachinskaya plays on it, and I like her a lot, as does Sol Gabetta on the cello. I think we're going to hear more from them pretty soon um they've got a new duo album coming out now this one i was really intrigued because of works by hinastera and bartok i thought this would be great and it was good for a lot of it there's a work the reason why this is in this category is because of the work by um francisco cole who we both decided we don't like much as far as compositions go i was kind of yeah he yeah and um i noticed that um Okay, so the La Lula lead was unbearable, I thought. And Le Plaisir Illuminé, which is the name where the album gets its title, was a little better. But kind of, I thought, in a kind of 20th century sort of... Um, it was I don't know that it was... Do it was atonal language, really pointy, angular sort of um, type things. I was kind of like, ah, I, I felt like it was played out. Uh, I did enjoy the Hinastera. George uh, Kurtach is still alive. Oh, we had a few movements from that. Uh, signs, games, and messages. Um, but all in all, I thought this was... We really thought this was just okay. We didn't really like... Or we, you know, this, this wasn't a big choice for us. Not one of my favorite ones, no. Not one of my favorite ones, either. So in this category, um, I, I would see. have to say... Well, we wanted Rouse, I we think, in Rouse this category. We like that the best. Um, and then, I guess... Maybe I was surprised by the uh, fantasy. Um, right. Although, yeah, I mean, it's probably the most different character among these contemporary pieces. And mm. I thought the Picard was somewhat interesting. The rest of them, um, yeah. The Picard was beautifully recorded, too. And I think that always helps. Yeah. Yeah. Next, early music. Um, I hadn't heard any of these until, like, they announced the winner. So I went and uh, heard the Josquin. Now, earlier in the year, I had a choice between... Um, we wanted to talk about Josquin because I believe it's the, what, 400th anniversary? Is it 400 or is it probably 500 now? Anniversary of his um, death um, this year. And so we wanted to put a Josquin one on. So we, we chose the one with uh, 
Il Grillo on it. <laughs> the one by, um, I can't remember the group's name now. The one on Decca that won the Special Audio Award. And it was a good recording. Um, this one is by the Talis Scholars, the winner of the early music category on the Gimel label. Uh, Talis Scholars conducted by Peter Phillips. And this is the end of their series of uh, Josquin Masses. They've recorded all of the Josquin Masses. And they started that project back in the 1980s. And I remember those recordings. I think I still have some of them. Um, I should go back to them. Um, so I thought I kind of knew what to expect when I heard this record. Um, so I... So I didn't program the things. So I was like, ah, I know, I know what they're going to sound like. But boy, what a surprise this was! This is an absolutely fantastic recording. Gorgeous, clear. Um, there are a lot of tracks on it. There are forty-seven tracks in all because they've they've pretty much divided up all the uh, lines of the various masses into like their own tracks. So each mass gets like sixteen tracks or something like that. Um, the amazing thing about this, and this is very different from the earlier recordings, um, one of the big criticisms of Josquin's music, he was the um, he was the premier composer of his day, um, but the the church complained about his music because you couldn't understand the text because the counterpoint was so dense, and they really wanted they they the church said that well the words are the most important part because they're praising God right in the um, but uh, Josquin and his contemporaries kind of obscured the words with their counterpoint. They made the music um, number one. Now, but in this recording, the individual voices are clearly heard, and you hear all the words. And there are some beautiful stereo effects with voices in the same register entering in the left and right speakers. It's really great, making the entry of the voices easier to follow. So the ensemble is set up across the uh, soundstage so that you can clearly hear each voice's entry. Once the textures get complicated, maybe you can't follow it as easily. But uh, I really appreciated that. It really made the recording exciting. It doesn't sound like a very large ensemble. The space sounds intimate, not dry at all, but hardly discernible room echo, which I like. Um, the sound they make has always sounded sculpted, but the precision and level of dynamics has become more precise still in this recording. I, this is a sumptuous listen. Um, I highly, highly recommend hearing this, and I kind of wish they'd record all the uh, Josquin uh, <laughs> masses over all of, again, so that we could they all sound like this. It's, it's, a, it's a great achievement as far as um, recording goes. I'd highly recommend that you hear this. Um, I can't talk about the rest of these recordings. I haven't heard any of the other ones in this category, but let's go through them. The first is Gesualdo, uh, uh, Majorcles Book Three. That's by uh, Lazart Florissant, conducted by Paul Agnew on the Harmonia Mundi label. Um, Guillaume de Machaut, this is before the um, Renaissance era, the Lion of Nobility, on the Hyperion label, performed by the Orlando Consort. The next one is Monteverdi, Major Goals Book 3, by Concerto Italiano. Uh, Rinaldo Alessandrini is the director, on the Naive label. And the last one is the sweetest, oh sorry, not, there are two more. Okay Game, Johannes Okay Game, Le Chanson, uh, performed by Musique de Wallonie and uh, no, I'm sorry um, performed by Cut Circle conducted by Jesse Rodin and Musique de Wallonie is the, is the uh, label name <laughs> it's really unusual and the sweetest the last um, in this category is the sweetest songs music from the Baldwin part books on Signum 
and uh, Contrapunctus, Contrapunctus, conducted by Owen Rees. All right, early music category. Definitely hear that Josquin um, recording. I don't know. I, I'll have to listen to the other ones and find out. I sampled these, actually. I did listen to the Josquin, which I really liked. And yeah. among vocal music, uh, I guess early music is my favorite if I'm in the mood for it. Uh, I right. like the tranquility I, I like it too. Yeah. Uh, of it and uh, just the plainness of the voice. Uh, so... Yeah, the Josquin is definitely puts you in a tranquil mood, and some of the other ones sound intriguing uh, too. Hmm. And it was just for want of time that I didn't uh, check some more of them out. But I think I guess I should have just uh, sampled them because I was listening to entire albums. Right. And I wanted to get the whole profile but down. I think all these will be uh, enjoyable. I'm sure they would. All right, now we're getting into the stuff I really like: instrumental category. Yeah, this is like a Bach fest here. Yeah. Four Bach albums on this one. All right. So the first one is... Um, now, we should explain. The instrumental category is a solo instrument, but not the piano. The piano gets its own category this year, so they've changed that. All right. The winner of this category is um, the Lute Suite. Lute Suites, by, uh, performed by Sean Sheba, Sheba on guitar. On the Delphian label, this is his last recording on the Delphian label. He is now on Pentatone, and Adult Music will be talking about his new recording in coming weeks. But for now, let's talk about this one. Do you have anything to say about this? Really beautiful playing. Yeah, it's great playing. Um, wow, clear. He's got a really sensitive tone. Um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, what I, I mean, maybe it's not apparent from this Bach recording, but. In his total musical approach, is very uh, unpretentious and uh, relaxed. Uh, you know, he he plays a lot of different kinds of guitars, electric guitar too, and right. uh, there's no, no stuffiness or aloofness in his approach to music. Uh, right. But that said, uh, these Bach performances are yeah really wonderful, uh, and the yeah. sound quality is great too. Um, and then in the context of his larger, uh, you know style of playing seems like he he can do no wrong <laughs> so far with uh, the recordings he has uh, done yeah um, he's he's quite a phenomenon really great player and uh, his new recording well we'll we'll let you know about that soon all right definitely hear he, this though if you're uh, a Bach fan or a classical guitar uh, fan uh, and you haven't heard his playing yet you've got to check it out right Sean Shipe listen to him all right the other contestants were um, six solo cello suites by Bach, um, played by Alyssa Weilerstein. Um, I heard this. I thought this, it was interesting. She, her approach, her, um, interpretation of these works are really aggressive. They're sort of the exact opposite of what I like in them, um, which would be the, um, oh, I can't, who's the, uh, Pierre Fournier, the old, um, the French, um, cellist from the, uh. I guess the 60s that was made. So he's more urbane in his playing. And she she really takes a really aggressive approach to these that kind of wore on me. I didn't really like hearing it. I like this cellist a lot. I have a lot of other recordings by her. But I thought this was, I mean, it was an original approach, I thought. I thought it was worth hearing. But I don't know how many times I'm going to go back to this. This is on the Pentatone label, by the way. Yeah, I... I don't know how many more recordings we need of these works. Because well, every cellist is going to want to play yeah. them, though. That's the thing. Um, but what I liked 
uh, about her playing, I was focusing on her tone. Right. And I thought her overall, her general tone is very rich, which I liked. But I also noticed that she could uh, vary that tone uh, depending on, uh, you know, the expression and the part of the work. So I liked her overall uh, tone. And then I appreciated uh, how she could vary that uh, with uh, what was called for or how she was interpreting the works. And that's what I noticed about her approach to them. Yeah, she's a great player. I do like her a lot. This was kind of, I thought this was a little it wasn't my thing really when it comes to the Bach cello suites. All right, next came uh Bach the Well-Tempered Clavier book 1 and I loved this. This is Trevor Pinnock on harpsichord. I like everything he does. This is on the Deutsche Grammophon label. Um label of the year. Uh, whenever Pinnock plays Bach, I just have to drop everything and hear that. And this was really great. The only thing about it is it's the well-tempered clavier. It's it's um, a prelude and fugue in all of the keys. And uh, it gets a little pedantic for me you know, to hear them all at the same time. However, Pinnock makes them interesting. It's it's just hearing them all that kind of gets to me. I hope he does a book too. Anyway, he's, he's fantastic. I would listen to anything he does of Bach. Yeah, and I like... Uh... It's very rich sounding harpsichord here. Right. Uh, you know, it's he not, characterizes it's not Bach well. Yeah, really it, good. Um, mm. it's a very f- fulfilling uh, tonal experience uh, right. listening to these, other than the great technique. But yeah, I would say this would be my second place choice to win this category if um, Shebe wasn't in it because that was really a stand mm. standout recording. All right, next came Bach again, along with George Kurtach. Um, solo two. Um, this is the follow-up to um, Tabea Zimmerman's um, recording solo that came out ten years ago. <laughs> this is um, um, the follow-up to that. The original one, the solo, was on an SACD, and this one is not, which I find very odd, on the Mirios label. Um, it has um, some of the Bach solo cello suites played on the viola, and then um, movements from Kurtak's signs games and messages i haven't heard this one i'm afraid well i was excited because you never get to hear enough viola yeah uh and yeah i did like the bach but again this is another i guess this is what i was saying before kurtog and bach i can't listen to like (laughs) (laughs) on the same album yeah i need i need to have something else in between you know like i don't know a run around the park or something like that so yeah uh just the programming combination uh, wasn't ideal for me. Yeah, I kind of feel like, especially with 20th and 21st century people like ourselves, we often like to think back to the past. I think it's because we see a lot of movies and we think, um, oh, these people were just like us. And uh, they weren't. They were nothing like us. They're really different. Sometimes we connect with them as far as the emotion they put across, but they lived in a completely different society with completely different rules um, and a completely different understanding of how life was to be lived and you know unless there's some they tap into some universal quality of the human heart we're just really not gonna identify much with them I think we adapt their stories to our times that's possible yeah so I think yeah, I don't know next is I didn't hear this either Dowland John Dowland a fancy this is by um, who's on this Bor. Zulian on the lute on the Reacher Car label. I like to hear this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, bet I, I bet I would like it too. I just never more got around loot. to it. I mean, you know. I feel uh, like there should be more loot. 
yeah, the world. Uh, I enjoyed the performances. There's a lot of space here, um, and the instrument sounds uh, good. Uh, Dowland's music is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I sometimes I get in a loot mood, either like right mm. when I wake up in the morning or like very late at night if I'm not, uh, if I don't have enough sort of mental energy left for jazz or something. It's an instrument that's very easy to focus on and always sounds lovely. And um, yeah, yeah. So if you like that lute tone, these Dowlin pieces are interesting, and his playing is uh, very nice as well. So I enjoyed this one. Can you imagine what it must have been like to like woo your mistress with your lute back in the day? These right, let me play a tune for you. I put this yeah, on. But... My wife just said I'm going to bed, so yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah, okay, maybe I need my work. own lute. You know. Yeah, but when you had to take out that. Big loot, maybe that's what impressed them, that you had this thing with a million strings on it yeah. <laughs> that, that you could actually play. <laughs> I think the, the biggest in my collection has only got 12 strings on it. And it's yeah. it, it always needs to be... Re- 12-string guitars always need to have the strings replaced. And it, I have a slot head one, and it takes forever to get it. You know the strings changed. Yeah. And I don't play yeah. it enough. The humid climate here. Right. Uh, the next time I take it out, it needs new strings and... Yeah, if I had a lute, it would be even worse. With all I those remember strings. hearing a, a clarinet, a, a concert by a clarinetist here, and it was forty minutes late because he he wasn't satisfied with the uh, quality that he could get out of the instrument because of the humidity. It was kind of affecting the reed somehow. Yeah, it affects so, everything. It probably affected the audience yeah. too. Yeah, well, probably. It was a good concert in the end, though. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah. The, anyway, can you yeah. imagine keeping a lute in tune? Boy, can you even Gotta imagine? Be tough, yeah. I bet there aren't many lute uh, concerts in Japan. I haven't seen any. Yeah. Well, not here. All right. Last in this group, Handel Sweets Harpsichord Sweets by Pierre Hantai, who's um, an excellent player. Unfortunately, I didn't hear this one either. Uh, I I feel bad now. I should have just gone through and sampled them all instead of just trying to hear like the entire thing. This is on the Mirare label. I thought these were nice performances, very enthusiastic, uh, the real energy of the Handel compositions. The uh, recording itself was a bit echoey uh, to mm-hmm. me uh, compared to uh, uh, listening to the other harpsichord and whatnot. So uh, that got in the way of my enjoyment a little bit, but the playing was fabulous. So um, Okay, next we get to the piano category. The winner is Johannes uh, Baschenbach. Well-Tempered Clavier, Book 2, Selections, not the whole thing. Probably a good idea. Uh, Piotr Andrzejewski was the uh, pianist, and this is on Warner Classics. And we talked um, about this in Episode 5. Yes, we did, and we liked it a lot. Okay, It was also easier to listen to simply because the uh, the way he programmed it, it wasn't yeah, like... He changed you know, the order for the mood, which was interesting. Yeah. It wasn't sort of textbook-like, but he was taking you on a little prom- uh, programmatic journey uh, that right. he decided on, which was interesting because you've probably never heard them in, in that order before. So Right. And it made them stand out a bit more too because they'll tend to, you, you kind of tend to know what's coming next when they're played all in the same, the right order. Also, he's just such a fantastic pianist. Oh, he gets, yeah. um, yeah, the, just the, the, the terracing of the, um, the, the various lines. Uh, it's just beautiful. His, his whole pacing, really great recording. And a good choice for winner. Although there were some other really good recordings in this uh, category too. Um, next was, um, oh, I heard this one. Um, Chopin, Debussy, and Mussorgsky. 
uh, Chopin Preludes, Debussy Children's Corner, and Mussorgsky Pictures at an Exhibition by Bejold Abduraimov. I believe he's, I don't want to say it, I don't want to get it wrong. He's like Armenian or something like that. I can't remember. But it's on the Alpha label. I heard this way back when it came out in January and February. And um, it, I thought it uh, I don't really have anything to say, but I thought it was really good. I, I remember enjoying it a lot. Um, pictures at an exhibition for me really stood out because I'm always interested in hearing how the, the Great Gate of Kiev is going to come out on the piano because it needs a gigantic, you know, sound and the orchestra can easily build that but uh, he achieves that uh, quite well here uh, nicely articulated performance and the other two the Chopin and the Debussy they're they're quieter works um, some of the some of the Chopin get get a bit loud but um, a nice sensitivity of tone I like this a lot I thought it was kind of an interesting um, I think this is his debut album and I thought it was pretty interesting He's actually uh, Uzbek born Uzbek sorry I messed yeah. that up my apologies um, to all the uh Uzbeki people. <laughs> I liked um, mm. the sort of uh, coloring he got on these performances. Yeah. Uh, that came out to me, uh, so I enjoyed that. I thought the recording, although it does have good dynamics and, you know, in the more uh, dynamic parts, I thought in general some of the recording was rather quiet and I was mm -hmm. trying, I found myself turning it up a lot to uh, listen to the detail. Uh, right. In it. So I noted that down. Especially in Children's Corner, like the Snow yeah. is Dancing works like that. Yeah. All right, next list. We talked about this one on the podcast as Episode well. Episode 13, yes. Oh, you actually looked all these up. Wow. I did. Okay, this is Benjamin Grovener. Uh, list Piano Sonata was the main work on this. And uh, then there are some other list works. Um, and uh, his arrangement of Ave Maria by Schubert as well. We were amazed at the uh, the... The the uh, precision of the piano playing on this album it was a, mm -hmm. it was a beautifully recorded record, um, it, it, yeah it was really the the whole yeah. I think the the precision you're almost we, in the piano yeah. on this recording right <laughs> not much uh, hall sound or anything so you can hear everything and uh, soak it right up yeah right the next one List Thalberg Opera Transcriptions and Fantasies by uh, Mark Andre Amlan on the Hyperion label. Um, oh, I sh we should mention the Grovener was on Decca, by the way. Mm. Um, and uh, I think Abdurimov is on Alpha. All right, now this one, and <laughs> Andrzejewski's on Warner Classics. We didn't say. we got to remember those. All right, this recording, Marc-Andre Amlan, Hyperion Label, List Thalberg. He's trying to um, recreate on this. And Marc-Andre Amlan is one of those super virtuosos who could play anything with seemingly no effort. Um, he's trying to recreate one of those uh, salons where Liszt and Thalberg competed with each other uh, to see who was the greater pianist. And um, Amlan's probably better than both of them. <laughs> really? Well, but he's standing on the, so on the shoulders of giants, of course, because they all developed the technique that is now being taught. Um, this, um, again, these are opera transcriptions. I didn't really like the music much, but the play, well, because it's really showy for showiness's sake, but the the playing on this album is absolutely astonishing. If you want to hear some amazing uh, piano ability, give this a listen. It's really something. Yeah, it's an amazing I, technique. 
Yeah. Um, but again, these are these are works. I mean, they're enjoyable enough, but I don't know. I just kind of get put off by you know the whole excess of them. I think. All right, but man, Amlan is really some kind of player. Um, this could have won the the um, the award, I think, just just for sheer virtuosity. It was really amazing. All right, next, an album that we both really loved. I seem to recall the Beethoven Connection. We did not talk about this on the podcast. It came out in 2020, but this is by a pianist we really like, Jean F. Lambavouzet, and it's um it's works by Beethoven's contemporaries, and um they're all really good. Uh, by uh, Muzio Clementi, uh, Dushek, whose mass uh, we um, you know talked about earlier, he won the choral category. Um, Johann Hummel and uh, Würfel. I don't know his first name. Um, these are all um, just piano works by them, and they're all just fantastic. Beautifully played by Bavouzet. Yeah, that really and, nice uh, light touch that he has. Uh, yeah, they just sound so smooth and uh, beautiful. All the works are appealing. Um, this will expand your understanding of the era. So it's not all just Beethoven, although Beethoven right. really commanded the attention then. And this is on reason. Chandos. This is on the Chandos label. Yes. Okay. And another one we talked about on the podcast, French Duets by um, Paul Lewis and Stephen Osborne on the piano yeah. on the Hyperion label. This is episode six. Wow. A long time ago. Yeah, we love this. This it's just beautiful playing. They sort of do sound like they've mind melded on this record and just um Yeah, it sounds like arm. one person with one person. lots of arms. Yeah, they seem to get the same well, I think they're both playing the same piano, actually. They're just four hands. Um, yeah, but the, yeah, these the are touch so and articulation played. is so yeah. integrated. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Yeah, really love this. You can listen to that to find out. Okay, opera category we already did. On to orchestral. All right. The winner of this category was Franz Schmid, Complete Symphonies, and uh, the Notre Dame Intermezzo, played by the Frankfurt Radio Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Pavel Yervi. I heard these um, all the way through, in fact. Um, I found them to be... The, these works are going to take... This is going to take a few listens to really get into. They're sort of Mahlerian, but they're a lot more densely... Um, packed with sound there's not as the, you don't get the space that you get in a Mahler symphony they are very long but I think they're all like not very long they're all 40 minutes I think these works but uh, there's a lot of activity happening in them um, there's a kind of turgidness to the works that's really um, characteristic of the uh, late romanticism it's you, know, you can hear that it's sort of on its way out but um, yeah good invention um this kind of over-ripeness of sound. Um, it really captures the Vienna of the time, I think. It, it, they're really hard to describe, but it, it, it's sort of... Um, anyway, do you have anything else to add to that? I don't know. Uh, I think, you know, if you like these Romantic-era symphonies and you haven't heard Schmidt, then I, you'll like them. I, what mm. do I have? I have a recording Well, of, if you like Mahler, you'll probably like this as well. Yeah, I think they're I have different, the... different, but they're not... The sound world is sort of the same. I have the fourth on an EMI disc by a London Philharmonic that I'm most familiar with. Um, yeah, like I say, it, it'll take a few listenings to get the character of uh, that. Uh, the performance here is really good and uh, mm. well played. It would be a good introduction to Schmidt. Uh, I'm surprised that it won the category. Uh, I but, did. I am too. And I'll tell you which one I thought should have won anyway. Yeah, But yeah, enjoyable yeah. and... Um, 
I like Schmidt, so. Yeah, I like it too. This was good. I'm going to have to hear this several more times to really properly assess it. All right, the others in the category, Ives, Complete Symphonies. We heard this for the Grammy Awards. Episode um, four, yes. Yeah, podcast. Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra, Gustavo Dudamel. Um, we said that these uh, started out romantically and got more complicated as they went until we get to the uh, the ends of the universe storming uh, fourth symphony, which has, I believe, two orchestras. Um, I didn't give this a re-listen, but I do remember, um, yeah, being happy that it was there. It's in good sound. Um, yeah, less strings. A, yeah, this, this is, is on gramophone, Deutsche gramophone too. too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so you can see why they won there label of the year next uh carl nielsen symphonies one and two um by the seattle symphony orchestra conducted by thomas dousgaard um i remember hearing the third and fourth by him and really wanting to hear these and they are up to par uh, with those uh performances they're really good um everything's beautifully judged i think he gets this um quite well if you like nielsen's music definitely have to hear this yeah this is on their own label to yeah. uh, seattle symphony media um, yeah, both discs are really good. I still think that uh, Blomstedt and San Francisco is my yeah, favorite those, reference. Yeah, those are my favorites. But there's not a lot to compare them to. Uh, these haven't been recorded enough. So, right. I mean, anyone who records them, I want to just hear a different interpretation. And I thought, you know, these, uh, although I still like the Blomstedt recordings best, these are really good too. And I'd like to hear them again, uh, you know, just a little different interpretation. Uh, I well, never get tired of listening to all of these. So. I like the Nielsen symphonies a lot. In fact, if you don't know them, we highly, highly recommend them. If you like Beethoven at all, I, I actually find these more exciting than Beethoven yeah. symphonies, simply because we've heard the Beethoven symphonies so many times, and these are sound kind Beethoven, of fresh because we don't hear them enough. And if you like Sibelius also, um, yeah. and then you're going to like Nielsen. Um, yeah, everything's there. Uh, and they're, I don't want to say they're unusual, but there's a, I think he, his composition style is uh, quite different um, in, in a lot yeah. of the techniques and composition um, techniques that he uses. So th they're always something fresh and all of them are quite different in character. Uh, so like a few times I've gone through, he's got six altogether, aren't there, uh, Nielsen? Yeah, there are six symphonies. Yeah. Uh, um, sometimes I take a week and listen to, you know, the, the whole series and... Uh, I really like the different characters uh, of each one. All right. Once he gets to his fourth symphony, too, he's starting to, um, as the sort of symphonic narrative goes, he'll start in one key, and that'll be the key the uh, symphony is cast in. But he'll end by the fourth movement in a completely different key. So there, it's sort of a progressive tonality. So that accounts for some of the, uh, I guess, unusualness of the sound yeah. uh, that that approach didn't um wasn't used very often but i find it very liberating and sort of um uplifting to hear because you can kind of go to this sort of new place that you didn't know you were going yeah although he kind of he kind of sort of signals where it where he wants it to go with certain um elements in that key you know, that he'll put like very appealing material in that key and you're like oh i want to hear more of that and by the end you're in that key and you're just feeling great and okay. nice not brass on this particular parts album, too. though. Yeah. yeah, nice brass parts as well. And also, yeah, yeah. Uh, not not much percussion on these particular works, but later on, okay, he gets into the percussion Which one has as well. that improvised... Um, That's the fourth, I think. The fourth, is it? The, yeah. yeah. The, the, the drum part, yeah. 
Okay, next. Respighi, Festa Romana, Fontana di Roma, Pini di Roma, the Pines of Rome, the Fountains of Rome, and Roman festivals. Um, Symphonia of London, conducted by John Wilson on a Chandos SACD. This is the recording I thought should have won the category. It's spectacularly recorded. Yeah, this is huge, huge sounds yeah. from this uh This is fantastic. This yeah. And it's an SACD. So if you have surround, like now it's going to open up into your um, whole living room. Not only that, but some of the effects, like for example, I think it was in um, uh, Festa Romana. The second movement involves a uh, pilgrimage to, to Rome. And at one point, there's, the pilgrims arrive at this place and they see their destination through the trees and the church bells start ringing and you kind of hear the church bells on like the left side. It's like a really cool effect in surround. It's, um, and I often wonder if it's performed like that. Um, I, don't, I haven't heard these live in a long time. Um, anyway, this is a must hear, I would say. Okay, next, Vaughn Williams, Symphony Number no. 5. Okay, uh, and also scenes adapted from Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which features material that he used in the Fifth Symphony. Um, this is by uh, Martin Brabens, um, BBC Symphony Chorus and Orchestra, and there are soloists on it too. This is a gentle symphony, uh, beautifully recorded here on the Hyperion label. Um, I, I, yeah. It's, I've, I've, I heard this when it came out back in uh, 2020, didn't give it a re-listen, but I remember liking it and uh, thinking it was a really nice um, addition to the uh, catalog of Vaughn Williams' um, symphony recordings. It's really beautifully recorded and performed. It's this uh, approachable music, uh, well-performed, and the recording's great. I guess it just doesn't stand out... Um, and grab your attention as much as some of these other do, especially the Respighi. I mean, after you listen to that, you'll need to take a, a break because it's like, you know, so yeah. dynamic. Uh, but uh, I like Williams's music, and uh, this is a nice uh, symphony uh, recording. Um, so I guess I'm not surprised it didn't win, but uh, it's good to be included in the nominations here. Okay. And finally, we have English Music for Strings. Um this is by again by John Wilson. He had two albums in the uh, yes. in this category, Chandos SACD. Um, I didn't hear this, and so I can't really comment on it. I listened to this. It's yeah, it's nice. Uh, it's a very good recording, um, and the performances are good. But um, in this category, yeah, it's music for strings which means there's no brass. <laughs> so <laughs> no, right. I couldn't get that excited about it, uh, even though the, the music was enjoyable and the recording is, uh, and performances are good. Um, so I liked it, but uh, no way I could pick it when there's uh, right. the uh, Respighi and um, the Nielsen uh, in there too. So Right. Okay, the Respighi we felt like should have won. Okay, on to voice and ensemble. And this one... The winner was a, re a recording that we both talked about, and a, a worthy winner it was, but I thought another recording should have won this category, and I'll explain in a minute. The winner is Verdi, um, um, Verdi Arias by um, Ludovic Tezier and the Orchestra of the Teatro Comunale Bologna, conducted by Frederic Chaslin on the Sony Classical label. Um, we talked about this one, too, on the on the program. Yeah, even and I liked this one. Yeah, we enjoyed um, the rich baritone voice of Ludovic Tezier. Um, it was a very appealing, 
low voice and uh i think there's a he's got like a duet album coming out with a uh, jonas kaufman either soon or it's already out i'll have to check that yeah i have to put this one on in between all those soprano recordings you're always picking and i got you, uh, you know, my, well there's another one that my you need eyebrows to hear. get on in a knot from those high notes and then i got all relaxed by his huge uh voice uh, yeah he's got this nice huge voice yeah Okay, let's see. Which of these have I heard? Okay, Berg, Strauss, and Zemlinski, Claire, Obscure. We, I think we talked about this one, too. This is a Sandrine Pio. And, yeah, um, yeah, I think yeah. we did talk about this one. Yeah, Jean-Francois Verdier on the Alpha label. Um, Claire, Obscure is the name of the album, and it features music by Berg, Strauss, and she does that wonderful tune, Morgan, and the Fear Let's the Leader on this. Um, we like her voice, I thought this was kind of a lighter voice for the Strauss songs. So really what this year we heard Lisa Davidson in like lighter music and then we heard Sandrine Pio in this kind of heavier music and they should have kind of reversed the uh, repertoire, I thought. But this we like this record. I thought it was really good. Yeah, this is uh, episode seven, mm. by the way. And uh, yeah, really lovely melodies on here. Uh, right. In this one. Okay, but I think I seem to recall her voice. It's it's a darker voice uh, for a soprano, but I didn't feel like it was a, like powerful enough to carry Fear Let's Delita by um, Strauss and Morgan, these wonderful songs. Um, I liked her better in the Bergen, Zemlinski. Um, well, she was good in those too. I mean, I liked them, but um, they were good performances. Next comes Mahler, Das Lied von der Erde. There have been a lot of recordings of this recently. And we're going to talk about a newer one coming up soon on the podcast. This one is by uh, Dame Sarah Connolly, mezzo-soprano, Robert Dean Smith, tenor, Berlin Radio Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Vladimir Jarofsky. Now, he's really big now, um, Jarofsky. I've really been enjoying a lot of his recordings. And this one as well. I thought this was really um, uh, well um, conducted. I think the the star of this perf- performance is the orchestra, even though you have two soloists who are singing all the way through. Um, Connolly, hey, she's good. She's not really terribly idiomatic, though, and I think that hurts in a, a performance of Mahler. You really want someone who gets the idiom. Mahler's music is very idiomatic. It's very kind of bohemian Austrian sort of of that era. I guess Habsburg, you can call it. Um it has this kind of quality of a time that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but um, I, the, the singing is good all the way through. I don't want to damn the um, the soloists, but um, I just they they weren't quite in the idiom. I thought the the, voc- the, sing- the singing was very good though. All right, now the album I thought should have won this category is Rossini Amici e Rivali. This is by two tenors, Michael Spires and Lawrence Brownlee. Um, this is on the era. Erato, I guess I should say, Erato label. Um, this features all um, arias from uh, Rossini's operas, and they're sort of the the two tenors are often um, pitted against each other. It was a very exciting um, performance and very enjoyable. Um, I recommend everybody hear this. I thought this was going to easily win, but it went to um, to Tezier, who I suppose is deserving. I like that voice a lot. Okay, did you hear this one? No, I didn't. I didn't check oh, out these. Uh, you should check that out. Bars. It's good. Next, Lise Davidson. We talked about this on the podcast as well. Yeah, uh, this spectacular was soprano nine. voice. Yeah, episode nine. Really? Yes. 
That was a long time ago. Wow. Mm. This is on the DECA label. She's accompanied by the London Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Sir Mark Elder. Um, this features um, works by Verdi, uh, Mascagni, Cherubini, and also Beethoven, um, an aria from Fidelio, which he also is featured on a, rec- a recording of the full opera that came out this year. Um, I thought that the her voice was too big for the Italian works. Okay, it's she doesn't really have like a well tenors have the spinto quality, but she didn't have like the the kind of quality of the um, the voice that's really necessary for these like a lyrical sort of sound. She really sounds like she's got a lot of power, and I feel like that had to be sort of um tamed a bit for those. She's excellent in the Wessendonck Leader by uh, Wagner, which sound like they were written for her. And uh, we'd like to hear her in Wagner operas. I think she's in her late 30s, so Wagner recordings are coming up, I think, in the next decades. You know, check those out. Okay. Anything else there? I got one more. Anima Rara by... Um, who's Who sings this? This is... um. Hermonella Yaho, soprano, Orchestra della Comunità Valenciana, conducted by Andrea Battistoni. I heard this one quite a while back. Um, this is Anima Rara, a homage to Rosina Storchio, an Italian um, soprano who inspired a lot of these works and sang at the uh, premieres. Uh, yeah, this was a really good performance. I enjoyed this a lot. Um, yeah, I, I thought she, her voice fit the, this music well. Um, that's all I really have to say about it, though. All right, next, the other category that had a lot of competition, I felt, uh, is the song category. This is also the last category that we'll be talking about today. We're finally at the finish line. Okay, the winner in this category went to El Nur um, by the young Egyptian soprano Fatma Saeed. And I thought this was fantastic all the way through. It's sort of a calling card type of um, album with her singing. Uh, first of all, she sings, um, she's accompanied by um, um, Malcolm Martineau on the piano and he and a very sensitive accompanist he is. They play Shahrazade by Ravel, a work that I really prefer in the orchestra version, but I had no problem listening to this. Um, Martineau's um, piano playing was really um, expressive and um, set a good mood um and she sang this really beautifully i thought with all the kind of um you know sort of wonder that in the voice that was necessary for these works and also the sort of smoky eroticism required for the um last two um pieces in that she also goes through a lot of um she sings some spanish um songs and they're um by uh, faya by serrano it reminds us of the um, the time when Islam was um, present in Spain and how closely connected Spain from that period is and the guitar is connected to um, the Muslim culture of North Africa of the time. And she's just a natural in these songs. She gets a really authentic Spanish sound out of them. And it doesn't sound like something put on either. It's sort of... Um, it really feels like almost she's she's singing them as pop songs, like like they're just kind of coming out of her. Really fantastic, and of course there are there are also some uh, Arabic songs on here too that we um, have never heard before, 
some of them were pop, and I think one of them was an was an art song. Um, and she just fits into that idiom beautifully as well. This is an absolutely fantastic album, and it's uh, it's a promise of wonderful things to come from this young soprano. I really enjoyed hearing this, and I want to hear more of her. I listened to the Ravel to compare with last week's episode, so right. I know part of it. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed her performance more than the one we talked about. So Right. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and there's another Ravel uh, Scheherazade um, uh, recording in this list too, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, the first one is Jake. Uh, the other con- con- contestants, should I say, in this category are Jake Heggie's Unexpected Shadows, which I did not hear. This is um, Jamie Barton, mezzo-soprano, and Jake Heggie himself playing the piano. He's an American composer. This is on the Pentatone label. I should have heard this by now. Okay, number two, And Love Said by um, Jody, Jody DeVos. Uh, soprano, Nicholas Kruger, piano. Jody DeVos. Okay. This on was, the Alpha uh, label. Episode we talked six. About this. We talked about this. Yeah. Episode six. six. Now, what, now I, rem- I wanted to do that one back in episode six because I was familiar with her Offenbach recording, which featured this wonderful stratospheric singing and almost acrobatic use of the voice. Uh, we don't hear that on this album. Um, these are all English songs. And uh, she doesn't really have to display this amazing technique to sing these songs. Um, she sounds idiomatic despite being, I, I believe she's French. She's either French or um, Belgian. I can see people get mad when you get their nationality <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I should look, there are just too many of these. I would do it on the regular podcast, I would get it right. All right, and uh, she sings these, idi- you know, fairly idiomatically. She she gets she studied in England, and she gets the uh, style of the, the English songs very well. Um, and she also sings a Queen song on this, I seem to recall. Um, you take my breath away, um, by Freddie Mercury. Okay, so we liked this, but it was a little bit of a come down from the Offenbach. All right, next. Oh boy, I have to uh, recommend this highly. Arion, Voyage of a Slavic Soul by the soprano Natalia. I don't know how to say this name. Roman. It's spelled R O M A N I W. Romani, I guess. Uh, Lada Velikova, uh, piano. Romani is um, Welsh, but she, her origin, she, her, I think her grandfather is from the Ukraine, so she has like Slavic roots. But she also has that sort of Welsh quality to her voice. So there's something magical in the water there in Wales. They produce amazing baritones. Our Romanu is a soprano, but she's got this almost dark sort of um, bottom to her voice. So you hear these soprano tones and they it's almost like if you could draw it as a circle, it would be white on top and then sort of um, black on the bottom, and it would just shade as it goes down. It's 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 a pretty unique sound, and it, she doesn't sound like a typical soprano yet. She could hit all those high notes. Uh, this is a very unique voice, and I think uh, this needs to be heard by anyone who likes um, good singing. Uh, this, she's she's another young artist, and I think she was the artist of the year for Gramophone last year, or young artist of the year for Gramophone last year. And uh, this album shows a lot of promise. That she's she's really something. Uh, please hear this if you like singing. This is a unique voice. Hmm. Okay, next, Chanson d'amour by uh, Sabine Deviel. 
uh, soprano. She's a French soprano. And she's accompanied by the uh, piano soloist, Alexandre Tharo, also a French pianist. These are They're singing all these um, chansons, uh, French chansons, French songs. And uh, she's got a... This was odd to hear after... I like the soprano a lot, but this is odd to hear after the Romanu recording because... Um, her voice is so unique, and De Viel's voice is very high and bird-like. But it's got a French quality to it that fit perfectly with these songs. And I like her a lot, so I really wanted to hear this one. Um, one point about this, I said that we would hear um, Scheherazade again, but we, we will not. We will hear, actually, on this one, Ravel's um, five popular Greek melodies played for soprano and piano. Now, we heard this on the uh, Kanejikova recording that we talked about last week with the orchestra, and I felt like it wasn't idiomatic. Here, this is interesting. These works really are written for a baritone, I feel. They, they work best in a low man's voice, low male voice. Now, she's got this very high sort of bird-like voice, and instead of just interpreting these the way the baritone would, they changed their approach. I've never heard them perform like this, and I really loved it. Um, the, the pace is a lot faster, and uh, she captures a, a different quality to these um, songs than you generally hear, than you generally hear. Um, so I would, I would recommend this particular performance of those works. Again, this is a, a set of... Um, French chansons, there are a few Poulenc songs and they sound more like popular songs. There's a lot of the cabaret in them, although they're they're kind of like a funny balance between art song and um, popular song. It's also got his famous um, work um, Le Chemin d'Amour um, and also we have some popular songs by some, some uh, famous songs by Faure, Debussy and that makes up the entire program. Worth hearing, I would say, if you like Sopranos. Last, we get to the end. Paradise Lost by um, Anna Prohaska on Soprano and Julius Drake Piano on the Alpha label. Um, this one features um, songs that have to do with Eve, of Adam and Eve. Uh, and there are lots of those in the repertoire. So um, Prohaska's voice is um, it's a heavy-ish soprano. Um, Drake is a sensitive um, accompanist. Um, yeah, I liked this. I don't know really what to say about it. I thought it was well worth hearing. It was good. Um, but that's that's all I'm gonna say <laughs> about it. I really that's not him on the else. album cover, is it? No, it is. That's her on the album cover with the apple. Yeah. Yeah, that's her. It's, yeah, but it's, it's a not, woman. I wondered if... Yeah, well, it's not only her. Oh, no, it's not Julius Drake. Yeah. It's some say, model, always, I guess. Does he always play shirtless, <laughs> or is that just for... I don't know. I think that's kind of the... Uh, you see, I think he's the uh, the serpent or the devil there or something. If you check out doing. the pose, too, like you, at first yeah. you think she's got her hand on him but then you say well that's quite a man hand and he's got his hand on himself so yeah anyway it's hmm. a it's a funny album cover so. it is an odd album cover yeah. yeah all right and there it is our take on the gramophone awards for 2021 um give these albums a listen especially well anything you liked 
uh, please give them a listen. I think um, one of the things I liked about reading Gramophone magazine back in the day, I still look at it occasionally, but um, a lot of their, um, um, uh, what do you call it, Your, their um, critics have certain biases that you get to know after a while. And this is actually a nice thing. If you know a critic's bias and he's, for example, and he's saying something like, uh, you know, he doesn't like something and you um, know that this is his bias and you usually like the things that he doesn't like, then you know you're going to like that album. So it's kind of a, a nice, <laughs> nice quality. I'm hoping that we are doing a little bit of that here. So if you've figured out our biases by now, you'll say you'll say something we didn't like that you'll like. Anyway, give these records a listen. This should keep you busy long past Christmas. There are lots of these. I know they're going to keep me busy long past Christmas. As, as you've heard, I haven't heard a lot of them yet, and I want to get to them. Oh, yeah. Such a busy life, isn't it? There's a lot here. Um, mm. Especially I want to check out the early music recordings. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to go through those too. Good. Yeah, and you should hear the Telemann too. Uh, I think you'll like oh, that. I will absolutely hear that. Yeah, because yeah. that, that whole category really, I, I enjoyed all of those really. Yeah. So something old that we've talked about before, something new that we discovered and still more to listen to. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I guess it was uh, worth checking all of these out and uh, yeah. give some more things to add to the list. Okay. Onward with new releases this weekend. Thanks for right. listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks you a lot. you want to give our address again or something? Or Yeah, so that's been a special edition of the... 2021 Gramophone Awards as episode 31 of Adult Music, where you come to find music for the mature mind. We'll always give you something new to listen to. And in this time, in this case, you got an all-you-can-listen buffet of things to hear. Um, that's, that's another thing about awards. It's a buffet. Yes, it's a buffet. And um, if you've made it to the end and you're still listening, uh, please do. <laughs> we, <laughs> us, we really admire you. If you yes. <laughs> give us a uh, comment or rating on whatever platform you're on. Uh, if you've got something to let us know about or any questions, uh, do contact us by email at adultmusicpodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back again next Monday with episode 32 Six more recordings for you. I'm especially excited. I've got a nice jazz. Yeah, we got some good stuff coming this weekend. Yeah, jazz trio lineup for you that uh, I've been listening to, and uh, it's going to be a good one. And uh, we've got some oboe too, which uh, that's really nice. No, no, we've got some contemporary composers. That's yeah. kind of an important thing. Yeah. Swinging modern this yeah. coming podcast for 32. So that's all for today, and we'll see you again next Monday with six new recordings on the Adult Music Podcast. Mm -hmm.